Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a Savior who is worthy to stand before the throne. Thank you for giving us an intercessor who goes between us and you. Thank you for giving us a salvation that's so very sweet. Lord, today would we understand it just a little bit better. God, thank you for the opportunity of today. May we take full advantage of it. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Please have a seat. As you're sitting, if you would uh, take your Bibles out, go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, then I will encourage you. We have some Bibles available back at the doors. You can grab one of those and turn to page 1685 there. Uh, You can take that Bible home with you. Just take that with you. Don't worry about it. We won't chase you down in the parking lot. Um, if you have a device with you, so today I'll be using my iPad. You can go to Uversion and pull up John chapter 20. You can use your phone. Uh, just don't be on Facebook unless you take a really good picture of me. Then you can post it all you want. Uh, I said this last time, and I mean it. If you don't have a Bible and don't have a device, but your neighbor does, you can steal it and take your chances if you'd like, and we'll see how that goes. All right, John chapter 20. Let me ask you a question Um, uh, how many of you regularly use this beautiful tool that God has given to us called Google? Raise your hand. Regularly use Google. You can tell a lot about a person if you were to examine what they Google. I mean, you can tell a lot about a person if you examine what they Google, but you can really tell a lot about a person if you look at what they regularly Google, which Google has become a verb. Isn't that weird? When I was in high school, which wasn't that long ago, when I was in high school, Google was only this number, well, one that was followed by a hundred zeros, right? And so we would use the joke often, which is a stupid joke, I don't think about it, but dudes would be like, dude, you have a one in Google chance of having her take you to the, go to the prom with you. Um, that was never said about me, of course. Um, man, I don't know why I'm telling the arrogant jokes this morning. That means something horrible is about to happen and God's going to humiliate me right here in front of all of you, so get your cameras ready. I decided that I would go ahead and take a look, a peek at some funny Google searches, but then actually what I found was examining my own Google, Google search history was actually funnier than what was on Google. So here's a few things that I have searched for in the last few months. What time is sunrise? You know why? This morning we had a sunrise service. God was incredibly gracious to us and kept the rain away, and this beautiful sunrise came with the clouds. It was wonderful. It was cold. I didn't have to sit in the metal chairs like the rest of y'all did, so it was colder for you than me. But what time is sunrise? Um, This one came up on my Google search last week. How do you hard boil an egg? (laughs) I am not a chef, so leave me alone. Um, How do you hard boil an egg? This one was a few weeks ago. (laughs) How do you get the smell of manure out of your car? (laughs) So legit, you use Google for whatever you can. And the answer is you can't. So just in case you're wondering. (laughs) Here's another one. I Google this every year. When is Easter? Right? When in the world is Easter? Easter. There has to be this scientific equation that has to be carried out and for you to figure out when Easter is. And every year as I'm doing my planning, it's like, all right, when is Easter this year? It can be as early as March 22nd. It can be as late as April 19th. Why? Well, here, you are going to learn something this morning, so you will know when Easter is. Easter, Easter, you all know already, so never mind. Fine, that's fine. Um, you, some of you are like, we already know. Okay, Easter happens the Sunday following the first full moon, following the vernal equinox. Perfectly clear, right? 
Which is why one of the most often searched terms in Google is when is Easter for pastors. So I'll, I'll simplify it a little for you. The vernal equinox is always March 21st. And so if we have the vernal equinox on March 21st and the full moon is that night and Sunday happens to be March 22nd, then Easter is going to be March 22nd. However, the vernal equinox was March 21st. The next full moon was just this Friday night. We didn't get to see it. It was a tad bit stormy. But today is the result. It's, it's Easter. So what I want you to do is we kind of walk through our text, which we'll get to here in a minute. I want you to keep that question in mind. When is Easter? I mean, we, we certainly can do it on the calendar, and you could do the little equation thing we just talked about, and, but when is Easter? So, so leading up, the days leading up to our text in John chapter 20, just a few things I want to point out that happened between Jesus and his, his disciples. You know that Jesus uh, began the Passover meal with his disciples, and he began it in a unique way. Instead of just ceremonially washing his hands, he washed his disciples' feet. And in that moment, we got to see Peter, the disciple Peter, being Peter. And he's like, Jesus, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, hold on, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part with me. And so Peter, being Peter, says, well then, hey, give me a bath. And Jesus says, no, 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 the feet will be just fine, Peter. Okay, so the Passover meal continues, and Jesus speaks of his upcoming betrayal, that somebody in that room is going to betray him. And there's this interesting interaction that happens in the the book of John chapter 13 between Peter and And the disciple who Jesus loved, you're going to see that phrase come up in the book of John often. And and the the disciple who Jesus loved is actually John, the one writing the, the book of the Bible. And so there's this interaction where John is sitting next to Jesus, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter, you get the sense, is across the room, and it says he motions to John to have him ask Jesus who it is that's going to betray him. So I don't know how he motioned, but if it's it's anything like us, you got Peter looking across the room at John like And so John, it says, leans up against Jesus and says, so who is it, master? Who is it, teacher? Who's going to betray you? And, and Jesus says, it's the one to whom I give this sop after I've dipped it. And he hands it to Judas, who leaves the meal at that point to go on his way to betray Jesus. It's at that time that Jesus begins his teaching, and he teaches his disciples and says, listen, guys, there is no greater love than this than when a man lays down his life for his friends. He says to his disciples, listen, you, you see me now. Soon you won't see me, and then you'll see me again. And the disciples get all excited. They're like, oh, we get it. Makes perfect sense. And Jesus says, really? You, you think you understand that? Boys, there's going to be a period of time in the next 24 hours where you all run away. You all just take off when the heat comes up. You, you leave me behind to suffer persecution. You are all going to flee. You are all going to scatter. And Peter, again, being Peter, says, ha, they might. I'll never leave you, Jesus. Never a good idea to disagree with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, Peter. In fact, you're going to betray me three times. You will deny you even know my name three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. Jesus takes his disciples into the garden and he prays. And you remember it, he sweats as if it were great drops of blood because of the the stress and the prayer that he is offering. And in that moment, Judas arrives with the soldiers and he arrives with the, the officials and they come to arrest 
Jesus. And Peter, once again, being Peter. Are you noticing a theme? Okay, you got friends like that, right? Okay, here comes Peter, and he pulls out, and I think in our mind, we think sword, right? We think, wah, samurai. And so it makes sense when it says he swings it at the officials. It says he misses, and he cuts off the guy's ear. But, but actually, Peter's a worse swordsman than you actually think, because it's not a sword. It's a dagger. So he's like, oh, ah, I missed. And Jesus says, put it away. We're not doing this. Jesus is taken to the high priest. He's questioned. The beatings begin. Peter's standing at a distance watching Jesus be questioned and beaten. And for three times he's asked, hey, aren't you one of them? Didn't you hang out with them? Aren't you a disciple of Jesus? And he denies all three times. And there's this poignant moment in the Gospels that it says, as he denies the third time, the rooster crows and Jesus turns and looks at him and Peter and Jesus lock eyes. And Jesus runs out of the courtyard that he was in weeping. Jesus is taken to Pilate where he is interviewed and questioned. And Pilate says, I have found no guilt in this man. He then brings Jesus and Barabbas before the great crowd and says, listen, I am going to release one of them. You pick who it is. And Barabbas was such a horrible human being. Pilate had no doubt they were going to choose Jesus. But he was shocked when the crowds began to chant, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Now Pilate's hands are tied. Jesus is flogged, which is an excruciating process. The flesh is torn from his back. He's dressed in a purple robe. The crown of thorns are forced upon his head. He's humiliated as he marches down the street carrying his own cross. He makes it to Golgotha, the place of the skull. They lay him down on the cross beam and they drive spikes through his hands and through his feet. And then they raise him up on the cross so that everybody could see him. And instead of coming, uh, instead of being placed up in a place of honor, he's actually crucified between two thieves. At the foot of his cross stand his mom, Mary, the disciple who Jesus loved, John, and Mary Magdalene. After some time, Jesus cries out that it's finished. They're running into some time restraints. Sabbath is coming. And so the, the, the Jewish officials not wanting to be unclean, which is ironic, isn't it? Want to make sure that their dead are buried before the Sabbath begins. And so they ask that the Roman officials now break the legs of those who are being crucified, which would speed up the process of them dying. And so the, the soldiers come to the first thief and they break his legs. They come to the second thief and they break his legs. And they come to Jesus and one of them says, he's already dead. One takes a spear and sticks it under his ribs and pierces the sack surrounding his heart. And water and blood flows out. A man named Joseph of Arimathea, called a secret disciple. He goes to Pilate and he asks for legal possession of the body of Jesus Christ. Pilate grants his request and another uh, bashful disciple named Nicodemus joins Joseph of Arimathea as they take the body off the cross and bring him to a nearby garden tomb. Nicodemus, it says, brings 75 pounds of spices with him and they pack Jesus' body with the spices and they, they wrap him with the linen cloths as quickly as they can because Sabbath is drawing nigh and they don't have a lot of time and they, they lay him in that tomb because it's close. And standing near that process, it says just on the other side of the 
the courtyard in Mary Magdalene as she watches them embalm Jesus and shut the stone for the tomb. Joseph and Nicodemus leave the tomb and head home for Sabbath, as does Mary Magdalene. And that brings us to John chapter 20, verse 1, where it says this. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, you know, the one Jesus loved, and she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So you have Mary Magdalene, one of the followers of Jesus, show up bright and early. Mary Magdalene gets a a very bad reputation through church history. Many people assigned to her the position of a prostitute. When in fact, as you read scripture, there's no mention of Mary Magdalene being a prostitute. Mary Magdalene instead was a woman who was being tormented by seven demons. When she came into contact with Jesus, before I get there, think about that for a second. We whitewash that, don't we? Seven demons, we tend to think like the common cold. That ain't the common cold. That's not even the measles. This is a life altering possession. It affects every aspect of her life and she comes into contact with Jesus most certainly as desperate as desperate can be and Jesus casts the demons out of her and as a response and a result of the forgiveness of Jesus, the cleansing of Jesus, she she is marked with this attitude of thankfulness and gratefulness and Mary Magdalene begins to follow Jesus everywhere he goes serving his needs taking care of him and the disciples. Do you think Mary Magdalene ever forgot what Jesus did for her? In the spirit of worship, she left everything to follow him. So you remember Matthew 27 tells us that she stood opposite of the tomb where Jesus was buried and she watched Joseph and Nicodemus bring him to the the tomb and embalm him and put the spices on him. What do you think is going through Mary Magdalene's mind at that moment when she's watching? Now, I don't want to attribute personality to Mary, but based on her actions and reactions, you can only get the idea that she stood there in disgust, watching, who is this Joseph of Arimathea guy? He's never been with us. What right does he have taking the body of Jesus? And Nicodemus, he didn't even show his face during the day. He had to go see Jesus at night. Why, why do they get to bury the body? 75 pounds. Okay, that's enough spices, but you know what? I bet they didn't do it right. That's my Jesus. I need to make sure that his body has been cared for. It's my Jesus. I need to make sure that I treat his body correctly so that way when we lay him finally into the grave, everything is good. And she says, I don't think they're doing this the right way. And so we're told that early in the morning, Mary and some other women come to the tomb with spices. The idea is they're going to redo what Joseph and Nicodemus did. As they walk, they're talking about the great stone that's before the the tomb, the stone that would be rolled in front of it to keep people out, the stone that would mark a grave different than any other cave so that the Hebrew people wouldn't make themselves unclean by coming into contact with it. And so as they get closer to the tomb, they begin discussing who's going to move the stone. I mean, between us, I don't know if we can actually carry it. It's pretty heavy. We'll figure it out when we get there. And so when Mary does get there, it says it's still dark out, and she notices that the stone is rolled to the side. As she begins to observe what's around her, as she observes what's in the tomb, she has one conclusion. Somebody showed up and stole the body of Jesus. 
And so she runs. She runs as fast as she can, and she finds Peter, and she finds the other disciple, John, and she says to them, they've stolen his body, and we don't know where they put it. And we're told in Luke 24 that when the women reported that somebody had stolen Jesus' body, the disciples thought they were nuts. Let's continue reading in our text, chapter 20, verse 3. It says this, after that, Peter and the other disciple, they went out. They were heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Okay, hold on. This is one of those moments where boys will be boys. They will make a contest out of everything. And, and, and actually, boys will be boys. You got John who's writing his gospel, and he's like, just want to make sure everybody remembers, Peter was huffing and puffing, and I smoked him. <laughs> Let's continue reading in verse 5. Stooping down, he, John, saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head wasn't lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. So, so as John outruns Peter to the tomb, he gets to the opening and it says he stops and he peers in. We're not sure why John didn't go into the tomb. There's a, a number of theories, but perhaps it could be because John was the one disciple who stood at the foot of the cross. Perhaps it could be that because John stood at the foot of the cross and saw this man, Jesus, who he loved, who he adored, who he worshipped, he saw him beaten, he saw him crucified, he heard him cry out in agony and in pain, and maybe John just didn't want to see him like that again. So he just peeks in, and he sees the burial clothes, but no body. Peter, again, being Peter, blasts past John at the opening of the tomb, probably gasping for air, and enters in and he sees the same thing John does, but John records for us that not only does he notice the clothes, but he notices the, the wrap that would have been around Jesus' face was folded up or rolled up next to the linen cloths. But again, no body. Verse 8. The other disciple who reached the tomb first, just in case you forgot. He also went in and he saw and he believed. But they didn't yet understand the scripture that he must first rise from the dead. So then the disciples returned to their homes. It says John goes in. It says something interesting. As he goes in, he sees the same thing that Peter sees. And it says... He believes. What does he believe? See, some people would say that at this moment, in a supernatural minute, John walked in, saw the sight, and thought, oh, it's true, Jesus is alive. But um, I think that means you skip verse 9 that says, but they still didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. What did they believe when they walked into the tomb and saw it empty? They believed Mary's report. They believed that someone had stolen the body. They didn't understand Scripture, and their immediate reaction was, oh, I'm going home. See, because it's not Easter yet. 
There's no joy, there's no jumping, there's no clapping, there's no stomping, there's no celebration, there's nothing but confusion. And Peter and John walk away from the tomb, heading to their homes, doing nothing but scratching their head. Did we waste all that time? Did we misunderstand? What is this? Mary's certainly not celebrating. It says she's weeping, and and that isn't just like the quivering lip and the gentle tear. This weeping is the word for mourning and deep sobbing. It's that uncontrollable, just soul-wrenching, everything's being wringed out of you as the tears come out, the grief is becoming unbearable for her. Look at at verse 11. Mary, she stood outside the tomb and she was crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. And what she saw was two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One at the head, the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. And I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. You ever had that happen? Have you ever had that moment where you see somebody in a different context than you normally see them? That happens to you all the time from me. I see you at Food Lion, you're just... Just somebody shopping, that's all. There was a couple of you, and I won't name names, there was a couple of you who were there uh, probably months ago now, and, but I was on a mission to get cream of chicken soup. And I blew right past you like, hey, how are you? Good to see you. And then it messed with my head enough where I brought home cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> we all have those moments where you stare eyeball to eyeball with somebody and you look right through them because you don't expect to see them standing there. Having said this, she turned around, she saw Jesus standing there. She didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus says this, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, If you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. You just tell me what you did with his body, and I'll take care of it. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni? Which means, teacher, and it's not like your Sunday school teacher. It's not like your elementary school teacher. It's like, teacher, the the one who I've given my entire life to? It's this very personal, intimate reaction. And what I want to point out to you is this, Mary. Jesus said, Mary. And in that single word, now it's Easter. In that single moment, it became Easter. It wasn't the visible evidence of the empty tomb. It wasn't even the two angels sitting there. It was hearing her name spoken by Jesus. Jesus who was dead, who was buried, who is gone, now stands in front of Mary alive. Mary, why are you weeping? 
Why would Mary be weeping? I mean, Jesus had promised that her sins were forgiven. Jesus had promised that her redemption was complete. Jesus had promised that there was a hope for the future. But Jesus was dead. Woman, why are you crying? I said it is finished. I broke the hold of sin. I paid the cost of sin. I defeated death. I have now busted out of the grave. So in that moment, Mary came face to face with the reality of her forgiveness. Sometimes it's just this thought. Oh, God says I'm forgiven. We'll see. No, 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 no. In that moment, Mary came face to face with her resurrected Savior. And she could know in that moment, everything Jesus had said was true. In that moment, her forgiveness was purchased. Her pardon was guaranteed. Her past was paid for. The resurrection brings hope to those of us who hear Jesus call them by name. Have you heard him call you? I don't mean in some creepy moment when you're like quiet and all of a sudden you hear this voice from the closet, Mark. Because he has called your name. Have you responded to the call? See, in that moment, what Jesus has done is he said, listen, man, you're a sinner and I'm not here to stand over you. John 3, 16 is one of the most beautiful verses in the world that we are all familiar with. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. But John 3, 17 is the verse that's most often skipped over because we can use John 3, 16 to beat people over the head sometimes. John 3, 17 says this, just as the voice of Jesus saying, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I came to the world so that the world might be saved. Jesus didn't call your name so that he could beat you upside the head. Jesus called your name so he could rescue you. You need to understand that you need a rescue and that Jesus is a wonderful rescuer. And that in all of your efforts, you can't do anything to save yourself, but Jesus, Jesus came to rescue you, to redeem you, to save you. Not your righteousness, not your morality, not your church attendance, not your Easter outfit. You need a Savior. So if you would call on his name, he's already called yours. Have you heard him call your name? And if if you're here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have already come to faith and repentance and you've accepted him as your Savior, man, let me tell you this. There is no greater knowledge than Jesus is standing outside the tomb saying your name. Because outside the tomb, what he is saying is that your sin is paid for, your iniquities have been buried, and your Savior is alive. What he's saying outside the tomb is death has been defeated and hope is real. There is no more sorrow because the death of Jesus didn't end the story. His resurrection is just the next chapter, and it's still not done yet. (laughs) Have you heard him call your name? Believer, he's called your name. Celebrate the freedom that is guaranteed and sealed in his resurrection.
understand with a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness what it is that he has given to you in Jesus Christ. Celebrate the freedom and the redemption when Jesus calls your name. When's Easter? Easter is when Jesus calls your name and you respond in faith. Happy Easter. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. God, I know there's no question. On Easter Sunday, there are people sitting in this room who are here to make somebody else happy. Uh, They're here because they feel like they're supposed to be here. And so God, I ask that you would do a work even in their hearts. I pray, Father, that, that each one of them in this moment, as we close our service out with some singing, as we close our service out just reflecting on what it is that you accomplished for us in your death, in your burial, in your resurrection, I pray for those that are sitting here who don't know Christ that you would call their name and they would hear you loud and clear. God, I ask that they would bow the knee, that they would call out to you and ask you to be their Savior while they confess their sin. Father, I pray that you would rescue them from from good deeds and high morals and a history of, of being in church. God, would you rescue them from themselves and instead deliver them in Jesus Christ? And then, Father, I pray that every single one of us who are in Jesus would celebrate that freedom that we have because the grave has been conquered. We thank you for life. We thank you for new life. And we thank you for hope. It's in the name of hope, I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.